Welcome to the Memories of a Moonbird podcast, exploring life one story at a time. Hello friends, today on the show, he's an Air Force veteran, engineer, and web developer who turned his talents to writing because of a family mystery. As an adult, he found out that his last name wasn't really his last name. That search for the truth unearthed a long-kept family secret and tragedy worthy of a page-turning novel called Heart of Steel. Here to talk about it and tell us a little bit about that story, please welcome author Kevin Miller. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks, Daniel. I appreciate uh, appreciate you inviting me on. Uh, it's great to have you here. So tell everybody where you're from, first of all. Well, I was born in Canton, Ohio. Um, we actually moved to Tempe, Arizona when I was six years old, and, and that's where I grew up. I had relatives in, in, in the Ohio area, the Canton area in particular, and mm-hmm. we'd go back and forth there. So I'm real familiar with Ohio and... and uh, like I said, real familiar with Arizona where I grew up. Well, for you, what was for the years you were in Ohio? Do you remember growing up there, or was it too young? I, I do. No, I actually went to kindergarten in Ohio, and I remember it well. I mean, I remember uh, walking to school in the snow. Uh, I remember my mom, you know, dressing us up, and then we'd get outside, and it'd be so cold we'd want to come back in, and she wouldn't <laughs> yeah. be real happy because she took all that time getting us ready to go outside, and we just want to turn around <laughs> and come back in. So I remember it, and and I skating on the lakes and stuff. Um, and then going back in the summers to visit grandparents and, and such, you know, so. Now, I know you're just a few years older than me, I think, yeah. but uh, is this the era of moon boots? Because I had the moon boots in the 80s. With man, the... No, man, this was long before that. I don't, I don't want to even give away my age, man, but it was long <laughs> before that. Yeah. Did, looked, you, did you travel a bunch growing up with your family? Um, yeah, we did. We um, We traveled... In the states, mostly. I mean, we, like I said, we would travel. We'd take a a camper and we'd drive from Phoenix all the way back to Canton. Oh, that's an awesome road and, trip. And it was it's a great road trip because you were going through Texas. You know, we got we, we would park in the KOA camps because we had the yeah. camper. And and I think one time in Shamrock, Texas, man, a, a tornado came through. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, it was exciting. But um, but yeah, that was a fun trip. And we just met. It was long before GPS, so we had our marker and our map, our atlas, yeah, your and atlas just kind yeah. of follow it along and. And such, and then and we this come is to even California. before AAA and getting yeah. trip ticks and oh, all that exactly, stuff. Yeah. yeah, long before. Yeah, I, I love it. Uh, I also grew up with KOA campgrounds, and yeah. I think it's so, such a phenomenal experience because yeah. I yeah. grew up in the seventies. Oh yeah, and it was awesome. So I know you joined the Air Force at some point. What led you to join the military? I'll tell you. Um, I joined the military uh, when I was about nineteen years old, and and mainly because I was out of high school and. I needed a job. You know, I was working for three bucks an hour moving furniture and I had I had a girlfriend at the time and she'd gotten pregnant and it was just one of those things, okay, we gotta get married, but how am I gonna support this family? You know, so so I made the decision I wanted to go into the military and, and that way I could go to school. Uncle Sam paid for, you know, my degree. I've got a mm-hmm. degree in electronic uh, technology that I earned by going through the Air Force. I have another degree in in, uh, information systems because I'm a web developer by trade. Cool. In addition to being an author. Yeah. That's awesome. Jack of all trades. I'm telling you, man, it's just, it's just, it's, it's fun. And it's like, you know, just do what you want to do in life, you know, don't hold back and and don't wish you did something, just do it. So with your military experience, I assume you did a little bit of traveling, whether it was even in the United States for base to base. Yeah. I wasn't lucky enough to get, sent to the nice places overseas like Spain or Japan <laughs> or something. They, they just wouldn't send me there. I'm, I'm a boy from Arizona, and the first place they sent me was Grand Forks, North Dakota in <laughs> December. 
you know, so I got an education. Talk about culture shock. Oh my gosh, man. I talk about uh, learning how to drive in the snow and, and I mean, the weather, the temperature up there was just ungodly. Wow. And so I, I spent about three and a half years up there and then they decided to send me to Lubbock, Texas, you know, which a lot of people might not like in the panhandle, but I, to me it was paradise, you mm. know, after coming from those winters. Yeah in the north like that and then uh you know I've, I've had you know i spent time at biloxi mississippi going to school there and and then bounced around i got to go to wright patterson for a few weeks to to do school that's cool what uh, did you do in the air force i was a ground what they call a ground navigation great navigational age technician which is basically just an, an electronic technician i worked on uh, navigation systems for aircraft to where um, the aircraft will dial in uh, a certain, you know, uh, position there, and the ground beacons will give them their position. And, and then we have these la- uh, instrument landing systems, they call them, where they would, you bring the aircraft in at a certain angle, and, you know, we, we would work sure. on those. So we had a lot of responsibility. You know, one tweak of a dial could send an aircraft off and, you know, to the... To the wrong place. Wrong place, and then, yeah, they lock it up in the F, and someone's going to jail most of There's a lot of pressure, huh? <laughs> yeah. In did that. you like it? I, I did. I, I liked it a lot. It was it was great. I made a lot of good friends, man, in, in the military. And, uh, you know, you just kind of, it kind of has that family vibe, you know. You make friends, and you make friends mm-hmm. for life, you know, and it's just, uh, you, you move around a lot, but you're kind of a family in the military, you know. That's cool. It's really that feeling. So yeah. tell me a little bit about your book. Obviously, the, the general, well, Sure. I, I know because I've I've sure. read the summary and I've I've kind of yeah. peeked through some of the pages. Mm-hmm. Different last name, yes. And you didn't know about this. I'd love for you to fill the listeners yeah, in, kind absolutely. of the summary of what that. Uh... Yeah, um, basically how this all got started was uh, a few years ago, several years ago actually. We learned that I learned that my last name's not really Miller. You know, I thought it was the All American Miller, and turns out it's Pukowski. actually. A very, yes, Puhalski, a very Puhalski. Polish Puhalski. And it kind of stunned us because my grandfather is the one that changed our name in 1920. Hmm. And we didn't know why, you know, he took this to, to the grave. I mean, it was like a secret to them and, and his siblings. They swore to secrecy and they, and they never did, you know, tell anything about it. So my uncle was at a funeral and some cousins approached him and gave him some newspapers, newspaper articles. And in the newspaper articles from 1920, it talks about this family tragedy, this scandal. My great-grandfather was murdered in his sleep. And, and then my, uh, my great-grandmother, um, she had claimed that some men, three men, broke into the farmhouse in Southington. It's a small township outside of Warren. And tied her up, bound and gagged her, and murdered my great-grandfather and stole uh, some cases say 500 bucks, others say $600, which is a lot of money in 1920. Yeah, back then, that's a lot of money, yeah. yeah. So um, my grandfather is 12 at the time, and he, he's woken up, and she um, tells him the story that somebody murdered the, you know, his father and tied her up, and she sent him to get the sheriff. And so he runs and, and gets the sheriff, and then, of course, the sheriff comes, and, they, and the investigation begins. And this newspaper articles from 1920, they kind of chronicle that for the next week and a half, two weeks. Hmm. And the story just keeps taking these bizarre twists and turns and everything isn't as it seems. And basically, um, basically my grandfather and his siblings end up in an orphanage in 1920. Oh, so she lost custody. She's yeah, she did. Every, I mean, everything just kind of came apart and this, and the story wasn't what it was. My great grandfather was 
a very cruel and abusive man. You can probably see where this is going. Mm-hmm. Um, he was uh, the good old boy. He was a rich farmer. He owned a lot of property. And he was kind of like the good old boy. You know, he drank a lot of whiskey and, and went out and, you know, womanizing and stuff. And he would come home and he would just, he'd beat the crap out of my great-grandmother mm-hmm. to the point that she lost six uh, pregnancies. Oh, my God. Then she, then he started, um, you know, beating my great aunt who was 15 at the time, you know, so it got, it just got really bad and he ended up with a bullet in his head in his sleep. Yeah. And my grandfather, like I said, went, ended up in a orphanage with his siblings and that was an awful place to be. So my grandfather being who he is. Now wait, did your great grandmother get arrested for the crime or no? Well, um, you know, you should read the book. That's Daniel. the best answer. Re- read the book and, because there's more going on there. I mean, you can, you can probably kind of, your mind's probably leading you where you think it's going, but there's more twists to it. Love it. That Good you'll mysteries. find out. And, and my grandfather being who he was, he, he decided to run away from that orphanage. So he, the plan was he was going to run away from the orphanage, find a job, earn enough money, go back and steal the siblings out of the orphanage. Wow. And how old was he at this time? He was 12, almost 13. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm like, because I'm, as I'm writing this book, I'm trying to channel him in because I was close to my grandpa. And I'm like, man, at, at 12, 13 years old, could I have done this, you know, yeah. what he's doing? Now, was he alive when you were writing the book? He was not. He's not. He passed. And, and I don't know if he was alive. If I were to ask him or interview him, he probably wouldn't say a word to me. He wouldn't. And, and I get asked this question a lot. I'm like, well, your grandfather wanted to take this stuff to the grave. Why, why are you telling the story now? And the, my answer to that is because after I learned the story and learned everything, I was so taken back and I'm so, I so admire my grandfather that I feel I, I need to tell his story. It's an incredible thing. It's an inspiring story. And people who have read it, you know, are inspired. I mean, it's a, an emotional book. And, and, and almost all my readers, I get so many uh, emails and stuff from people that says I just could not put the book down. It was, I, I cried. I laughed. You know, I felt his pain. I felt joy, you know. And, and so that, that really makes me feel good. And, and, and other people who are, who are inspired in their life just by, you know, this young man's uh, story. Mm. So, so I feel it's a good thing. That's, that's the reason I'm telling his story because I think it, it needs to be told. He wouldn't tell it himself. He, he was a very humble person. He would, he'd want to know about you. He'd say, Daniel, tell me about your life. You know, I want to hear about you. He wouldn't want to talk about himself. Well, do you think he was like that because he endured so much pain early on that he just yeah. didn't want to talk about those I things? Think, and... I think so. Cause he, I mean, the reason he changed our name was to protect the family, protect our family name and protect us and to keep that horrible scandal and tragedy, uh, you know, away from the, his descendants. He wanted to start anew. Well, what? Uh, when did you decide to write the book? I decided to write the book about three years ago. I, I finally sat down. My, my, actually, my dad wanted to write this book, um, Robert Miller. He's, he's still alive. He's 86 years old. He'll be 87 uh, next month. And, uh, and he's still coherent. I mean, he's got the mind of a 40-year-old still. But he wanted to write the book, and he just didn't know how. And he was going to write it more as a documentary type of thing. And he asked me, he says, I got all these documents because he's been talking to his cousin, and he got he had a gold mine of documents. Hmm. And he said, I'm going to give these to you if you'll write the book. And I said, I'll, I'll write the book, Dad, but I'm going to write it as a novel. I want to write it as a, a true, you know, uh, historical fiction based on a true story, you know, because... 
80%, of it is factual, but there's parts that I, we don't know what happened. So right. I have to, as a writer, be creative and tie those things together. To, well, it's creative license. Yeah, to do exactly. To, to make the story flow. And What are your hopes for the book? My hopes for the book are this. Well, the first hope for the book, it's already in motion, is to make a movie out of it. Now, I have, being here in Hollywood has its benefits. My, yes, sir. As I said, my daughters are actors. Um, they've been, we've been here six years, and they've been acting. And in that process, of course, I meet a lot of people in the business, and I have a good friend, uh, and I gave him the book. You know, I just said, hey, and he just read it. He goes, I, I read your book just because, you know, a friend handed me a book, and I wanted to read his book. Well, after he read it, he calls me up, and he's like, dude, he's like, I want to option this book. You know, we, we need to put this on the screen and, and turn this into a movie. Hmm. I'm like, I was hoping you'd say that because <laughs> that, that's what I want to do. I mean, my goal is to get it on the screen and get the, and get the movie written as well. It's getting a lot of good press. I mean, I'm getting, I'm on the radio quite a bit and I was actually on TV and on channel eight in San Diego and, and, you know, so it's getting a lot of attention. Yeah. It's how it starts. You got to build yeah, the buzz, man. Exactly. For the option, are they just, is he trying to shop it to get it purchased? Yes. And made? Yeah. That's what we're doing right now. We're uh, negotiating with a screenwriter who's going to write the screenplay. You awesome, know, because that's a whole different skill set. You know, yep. writing a book and writing a screenplay, two different, and you, you know that. Yep, um, it's the skill of taking. Yeah, like sometimes in a novel, you'll have three pages yeah. that are describing a living room, exactly. and you have to put that into a sentence. Right, you know, because it's your visual. Yeah, it's yeah. a totally different thing. It's yeah. like. I don't think I can do that, you know. So, and and, and we want a, a screenwriter, you know, who's got accolades and is in the business, and who, you know. So the the, the guy we're talking to right now has has already done some feature films and stuff. So he's, That's he's great. so we're we're working with him. He read the book, he loved it. He's like he's like man. He goes, hats off to you. He goes, this is your first book. It, you know, you did a good job and stuff. And he goes, I'm really excited about the story. So I think we got him. He's in. And then once we have the screenplay, then we'll start pitching that. That's great. And see if we can get it greenlit. Well, after mm -hmm. you win the Academy Award, <laughs> we'll have you back on the podcast. Oh, yeah. And we can talk about how before it all happened, we were having this great oh, conversation. Gosh, yeah. so. Absolutely. Uh, are you going to write more books? Yeah, actually, I'm starting another book. Um, I'm doing a couple things. i got so many things going at one time. I'm actually trying to, to, to work on the audio book because I want to, to put this in audio book as well. Nice. And get that out there. But yeah, I'm actually starting on a, a, a second book. It's going to be another story, um, actually, of a family member. And my great-great-grandmother, who was, they called her Mingo Indian, Iroquois Nation. Wow, cool. Um, and she was married to my great-grandfather, who was Irish. So there's a lot going on there. You know, you got it inter is, yeah. interracial, you know, marriage back in the 18, you know, 50s or so. Very controversial. In that yeah, area. very controversial. There's a lot of good stuff there, you know, and I have a lot less facts, so it's going to be much more fiction with real people. So you can have a, a liberty of flexing your creative yeah, muscles exactly, a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah. How totally. fun. Yeah. We'll definitely keep us posted on that. Oh, definitely. For sure. I'm curious, as a writer, what was one of your favorite childhood books? Oh my gosh, man. There's there's so many. I mean, I, I remember in high school, I read Summer of 42, and I thought that was a cool story because, mm. you know, the the friendships and stuff he described, you know, I, I thought was very And how cool. old were you when you read it? I was probably 15, 16 yeah. or so, yeah. How did you feel when you were, because you've read a lot of books yeah. and you enjoy reading, how mm -hmm. did you feel during the creative process of writing your own book? Um, it, was, it, was a, it was amazing, man. It was an emotional journey, Daniel. It was like, uh, I mean, there was times where I, I got so emotional I had to kind of stop because, I mean, because the book is, it's got some pretty intense, um, you know, stuff in it as far as what they went through, you know. 
so I'd get emotional and it was tough there. But and it's funny because my wife is like an avid reader and she's a, she's an amazing, she should be a writer herself. And mm-hmm. she helped me quite a bit. And she loved the book. The last part of the book is the love story between my grandfather and my, my Irish grandma that he meets. And they own a speakeasy. A lot of stuff going on there. And this is all true. It's all true. You like gangsters and speakeasies. There's some <laughs> stuff there. But she's like, she goes, I loved your book, honey, but the love story was my favorite at the end. This is know? like Ohio Goodfellas. Exactly. <laughs> totally. Yeah. 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 Little Canton, you know, yeah, or Little fun. Chicago, rather. I'm sorry. Little Chicago, uh, that part of Canton, that seedy part of Canton, it was called Little Chicago. And it was, there was gangsters there. There was a rumor that Al Capone, you know, hid out there. Huh. When, the, when the feds were looking for him. How long did the actual research portion of the book take for you? Um, it, it took about, probably about three years for me to put everything together. Uh-huh. You know, And you made multiple trips to Ohio too? Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely went to Ohio, uh, check it out, because I wanted to see, I wanted to see and sit and feel, you know, the places I was sure. writing about. You sure. Know? I think that's, uh, uh, yeah. literary pil- pilgrimages like that are very important, I think, to when you're... Writing, I, I write fantasy, like for mm, you know, oh, cool. Lord of the Rings kind of stuff. Now, oh, nice. Yeah. And and mm-hmm. but I try to, if I'm writing a sequence that takes place in a desert, I'll try to go out to like the Mojave and just sit in the desert and feel right. the heat and, right. and just and kind of get that vibe. What would be like to travel on this and to carry around a backpack of gear? And oh, it's, yeah. it's so that's great that you did that. It's really cool. Yeah. What was was there a particular scene that was hardest to write for you? The the hardest scene for me to write was probably one of the first scenes in the first chapter. And, and that's where, it's a scene where <clears throat> my great-grandfather, has, he goes to town, he's drunk, it's after breakfast, and um, my great-grandfather, did, mother didn't have time to clean the kitchen and clean everything up because she's taking care of all these kids, and he comes home early, and it just uses that for an excuse to, to beat her. Mm-hmm. And, and my great-aunt comes in and, and you know, defending her mom, um, ends up getting abused as well. And then my grandfather, you know, he tries to stand, he's 12 years old. He tries to stand up to his dad, but he obviously can't. Yeah. So that, that was a real emotional scene. And, and it was um, a scene that, that I think most readers that have read it have said, that's, that's pretty tough, man. That was pretty, pretty emotional stuff there, but they couldn't put the book down. You know, they couldn't, a lot of, a lot of the readers read it in one day or two days because yeah. they, they just couldn't stop reading it. So I, I felt good about, you know, that aspect of it, but I know you've talked on your website about being a man of faith. I was curious about your journey. Uh, was there anything, did you grow up spiritual and religious, or was there a particular thing in your life that happened to bring you closer to your beliefs? Yeah, honestly, um, I think I grew up that way. I had a mother who was uh, would always read us the Bible stories and put us to bed. So I think at a very young age, you know, I was um, uh, deeply uh, religious, deeply faithful. I don't like to say religious, but... You know, well, there's a difference between religious, yeah. which is following a specific doctrine to right. the letter, and then there's you know religious, faith. spiritual, or, or, exactly. or faith-based, which is I just yeah. believe in something greater exactly. than myself, and, and yeah. that could be defined however you want. So. Right? Yeah, I, I grew up I grew up Christian. My my dad was uh, Catholic, Irish Catholic, and my mother was uh, Protestant. She was Presbyterian, so obviously went to the Presbyterian church because the mom kind of you know. The, what do they say? The neck, you know, turns the head. So, but, but, but anyway, yeah, she, she was really good. I mean, she, she would always read us Bible stories, always talk, always teaching us, you know, we'd always be in church and stuff. And I just grew a a very close um, relationship with, with Jesus Christ. You know, I'm a Christian and I grew up that way. And I still, you know, I still love to talk about it with anybody who, 
you know, wants to talk about it. Was being a person of faith integral to this story? And did you rely on your faith to get you through some of the tougher parts of writing it? Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there, there was a lot of stuff in there that um, my faith, yeah, got me through, you know. Um, and it's interesting because when I was a boy and I would talk to my grandfather about faith, he, you know, he, he, I think, was agnostic at a time. And he would say, there is no God. You know, and I would under, I, and I never understood that. It, it crushed me because I'm thinking, oh my God, man, Grandpa's, you know, he's not saved because you know he doesn't believe that there's a God. Even though I, I, later on he, I learned that he did. He really did. It's just now I understand why he felt that because your father's murdered. You're 12 years old. Your mother's in prison. You're in a orphanage, you know, with your siblings. I mean, so what he went through, just just learning about his life. I'm like. Now I understand why he was mad at God, mm. even though later on, you know, he, if, if he didn't have faith, he had it later on in his life, and he found Christ, and he, um, you know, he died a Christian. Now, something I like to ask people who are more spiritually inclined, such sure. as yourself, uh, and I'm not expecting you to have any kind of, you know, end-all, be-all answer, oh, sure. but you look out in the world and you see some of these terrible things that are happening, and a lot of the people who who don't, who aren't religious or identify right. as, you know, I don't believe in anything, whatever, fine. Right. Everyone, I just believe everyone's entitled to believe whatever they want. Yeah. But I, my yeah. question for you, sorry, is, is when you look out the world and you see some of these bad mm-hmm. things, People often use the argument, well, if there is a God, why does he let people suffer? Yeah. Why is he... So what, what does someone like you say to that question? Yeah, I'm curious. That, that is such a tough question. And, and I hear that question a lot. And, 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 you know, and it's a good point because, you know, that's the kind of question I think we would need to ask God, you know? Yeah. I don't think I can answer that question, but I, I feel that, that God, I mean, really my own personal belief is that God gives us a freedom of will. He lets us choose the path that we go. He has a deeper understanding than we do. But why tragic things happen in this world, I don't know. You know, if I was in charge, you know, they wouldn't happen. Children wouldn't get cancer. People wouldn't be, uh, you know, raped or or attacked and stuff. But, you know, who, who am I? Who am I to say or who am I to judge? And that's one of the things I try to lead my life by is just not judging other people. So Kevin, what does literary success look like to you if you had to define it? Oh man, yeah, no. If if I could make anything happened that I wanted to happen with this, I, I would obviously um, sell, you know, 10,000 copies of my book, you know, and be a New York best, you know, I, I would, How about I would 10 like 10 million, this. man? Come on, go for a 10 million. million. All right. Well, 10, well, if I'm going to go big, I'm going to dream. I should go 10 yeah, million. Yeah, yeah, 10 right. million. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and have that kind of, uh, you know, following and, and mostly not necessarily for the, the accolades and stuff, but because I, I really want the message to be out. I really want people to read this book and, and embrace the story, you know, and, and maybe, you know, not everyone, I don't expect everyone's going to love the book, although the majority that read it do, it's getting some really good reviews That's and cool. such. So that would be, and then, and then to be able to establish myself as a legitimate author, you know, not that I'm not, that I'm illegitimate, but this is my first book. So I, I can't. Well, I'm just going to tell you right now, yeah. any person in the world that from start to finish actually writes yeah. an entire book and puts it out there, self-published or get it published, whatever. Yeah. They're an author. I mean, they, they are yeah. an author. Whether the book's good or not is irrelevant. They are still an I, author. I so you that. should you should leave knowing that at least. Yeah. You know? No, I, I give myself that much. Yeah, I, I agree should. with that because there's yeah. a lot that goes into that. And I know, and that's what I always try to encourage people too when I'm on social media. It's like, you know, 
everybody's got a story. Every family's got a story, you know, as you can write it, you know, and it's, it's just not everybody will take the time to, to do it. You know, a lot of people want to, but they don't take the time to do it. And it's just like, why not, you know? Sit down and start writing. What's one of the most interesting things you think you've seen in your life? Oh, interesting. Most interesting things I think I've seen in my life. Um, I mean, I kind of got to be a little trite here maybe and say probably the birth of my child, my youngest daughter. I, I didn't get to see my older kids born because in those days they didn't let me come in. But my youngest daughter, Gracie, I actually got to go in and, and witness birth and if you if you don't believe in God, witness the birth of your child, you know, and um, and I got to cut her cord, you mm. know, and so that that to me was it just blew me away, you know, and what my wife went through, you know, and I'm I'm standing back there and coaching her on like you know, and she's there you know taking all the the hit and the pain and stuff, but that that was a miracle, you know, mm. I, I witnessed a miracle, and that that to me I think is the most amazing you know, thing to me. If you had your big literary success and you yeah. made, you know, the millions of dollars that oh, would yeah. come from it, where's the first place you think you and your wife would travel? Oh my gosh. We, there's so many places that we love. We've been to Hawaii, which I, I absolutely love Hawaii. We've been to the Bahamas. Um, we went there actually when she was pregnant with Gracie, she hmm. was, you know, sticking out there and, and we had a good time there. <laughs> I would love to go to the Holy Lands, you know. I'd love to go see um, Egypt and the Holy Lands and, and just that part of the earth because it's just like the oldest, you know, one of, one of the oldest areas, regions. I think that would be fascinating. But I love beaches, man. I mean, give me a beach and a beer in my hand and a chair and, you know. You know and well, the was, beer in your hand brings up another good question, yeah. which is what is your all-time favorite drink of choice? Uh, I'll take a beer, man. I'll take a beer. Any, any day. particular kind of beer? I, I like all kinds, man. I had a, I had a one time for Christmas. I got a, a like a thirty pack of beers from all over the world, and my brother in law and I sat there at Christmas and we just tried every single one of them. <laughs> you know, so I mean, my, I don't. I know. could just see you two guys chilling out, oh, drinking man, thirty dude. beers together. Yeah, no, we were we were just hey, try this one, man. You got to try. We were even trading off, you know. You got to try this. This one's from Belgium, and this one's from some country I can't even pronounce, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm more of a beer drinker. If I drink, I, I don't I don't drink a lot, you know. But um, you know, cause like my like my uncle. I mean, I have an uncle who was like six foot six, and he was a basketball. He could drink a lot of beer, and I could not keep up with him, you know. But. <laughs> But that would be my 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 drink of choice. My wife's a wine drinker, you know. She she'll take her wine. Anyway. Well, my other favorite question that always comes after the drink question yeah. is, let's pretend for one second that you get to sit in a room by yourself for four hours with anyone alive or dead from all of human history. Oh wow! Who would you sit and talk to? Man, that's um. There are so many. I mean, there's so. I mean, obviously, you know. Jesus, because then I could ask him all these questions and get back to y'all. You know, I'm going to have to take Jesus off the list. And I'll okay, tell you why. Yeah, because because, because always a lot of answer. people are choosing Jesus. Yeah. And we we got we to, gotta, so so they, besides Jesus yep. or or any of your relatives. Yeah, any of my relatives. I would say, um, I would love to sit down and have a discussion with like William Wallace. Braveheart's one of my favorite movies of huh. all time. And I've got a lot of, 
a genealogy from Ireland and some Scotland and stuff as well. And I think it would be fascinating, you know, to sit down and talk to somebody, a warrior like that, a yeah. Scottish warrior like that, and just get the, give me the inside scoop. Give me the stuff that's not in the movie, that's not in the history books, you know. <laughs> yeah. Tell me what's really going on here and tell, you know. Or, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, so first choice, Jesus. Second choice, William Wallace. Yeah. Okay. That's so, fair. That's yeah, fair. Yeah. Since you've already written one book now, yeah. uh, writing a second book as you currently are, do you feel any kind of pressure or responsibility to write something for the audience as opposed to just what you want to write? So did did publishing a book create any kind of obligation for you as a writer or you just look at it and go, nope, I just I just write the story I want to tell and if the audience likes it, great. Yeah, you know what? Um, Because there's different th- uh, foods for thoughts. But personally, me, I want to write my story. I just want to write the story. I want to tell a story because... I think as a as an author, you have to be a good storyteller, you mm-hmm. know, and you're telling a story. And not everybody's going to like the story, you know, and and I, I understand that, that certain concessions you have to write, you know, in some ways and some things for your audience. You know, you're you're trying to, you know, not be too wordy in in the things you're trying to say for your readers' you know sake. But at the same time, I, I would choose to write my story and tell it the way I want to tell it. Well, do you really think that that's doing something for the audience or that's just trying to be a good writer? I think, I think it's being a good writer. Yeah, I, think I agree. It's, yeah. Cause I think there's, there's, you know, when I write, I always edit yeah. and yeah. then I oftentimes have Jolene look at it oh, and sure. you know, she'll yeah. say, Hey, these three sentences here are irrelevant. You're saying the same thing and cut right, this out. You know right, I mean? right. And you realize, Oh, I can cut, I can cut a good page out of this, you know, totally. of all the places that you've actually traveled so far in your life, yeah. Which one would you choose to tell other people, you know, you should really, if you're going to, if you're only going to travel one place, you should go here? Um, Kauai, mm. the Garden Island, man. Loved it. Just, tell us why. Like, what what about it is so special? It, it was special because, I mean, just beside the, from the natural beauty, you know, it's just a beautiful place, um, paradise, really. And, and I think I just have good memories there with taking my family. I actually uh, took my older kids my wife and I took several of our children with us, and it was such a fun family vacation. Um, we barbecued steaks and such, and then we did a lot of stuff, man. We went snorkeling, you know. We went, uh, we canoed on on one of the rivers. Why a pee? I'm probably going to get that wrong. And and then hiked down to some waterfalls, and and we just, I mean, we we did the whole experience. Took mm-hmm. I went in a helicopter, you know. That's awesome. Which is kind of scary really you know because my wife's you know she's a retired highway patrol and she's like i don't know if i want to go up in a helicopter you know <laughs> now, so, is she afraid of heights or she's afraid of crashing she's afraid of helicopters i think yeah <laughs> but she she you know she took it you know she manned up or womaned up whatever however you want to say that and she got in and did it you know but we did a helicopter ride to the top of a glacier in new zealand and i would do it again a heartbeat uh, that yeah, was awesome so cool man you get to see so much from there yeah you know? Yeah, because you're not so high in the air that you can't see anything, but, yeah. and you're low enough that you, yeah, but you still have this beautiful aerial view. Oh yeah, oh definitely. So you're a spiritual guy. What is your spirit animal? My spirit animal, I would say, you know, if I had, if I got to pick one, I, I would say the orca. Hmm. Yeah, because just his, you know, his majestic, you know, ways. You know, there's nothing more majestic or bigger or badder in the ocean than, than the orca. And, well, and technically just, there is something bigger, is but there? 
The blue whale is the largest well, animal. Well, yeah, animal you're right, right. Bigger, yeah, actually bigger. Maybe not Sorry bad, to get animal but, nerd on you, but... No, that's all good, and that's all good, man, but... Um, Maybe they, not they, more badass. They don't have teeth, right? They do have a form of teeth called baleen, which yeah. they use to filter krill and all that and stuff, so... Stuff, but so. still, the orca is a, a badass animal. He's a badass, man. I mean, mm-hmm. even the great white sharks, you know stay away from them when they when they know they're in the area they disappear so is that you as kevin like the badass writer that people should stay away from yeah i mean if i could yeah if i could if i came back as an animal you know i think i'd want to be an orca and and because the family pod because they're they're so you know family oriented too you know i mean these those pods stay together and and you know there's a lot more intelligence and stuff there in in these in these creatures than we ever realized i think i'm also glad that you didn't say i'd come back as a orca because i want to go to sea world and entertain people <laughs> <laughs> yeah no no yeah nah <laughs> Uh, Kevin, I play a game with everyone on the mm-hmm. podcast mm-hmm. called 299 Philosophical and Life Questions with okay. Moonbird. I've collected 299 questions over time from friends, family, and the internet. I'm going to ask you to pick two numbers randomly, your two favorite numbers. I'll read you those two questions okay. and we'll see what you have to say. Um, I would, uh, I would pick seven. Okay. And I would pick 13. Okay. So seven, what are you not good at? What am I not good at? Oh man. Nothing, Daniel. Nothing. Yeah, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm not good at uh, talking about what I'm not good at. <laughs> you know, there. Um, I don't know, man. Cause I've been a I've been an athlete all my life, so I'm a pretty good athlete. Um, What's your favorite sport? Football. Okay. Yeah, without a doubt, football. Did you play? I did. I played. I coached. What position? I was a uh, wide receiver and a nice. cornerback in high school. Nice. Yeah, I um ran track actually pretty fast what i'm good not not so good at i don't know you know it, because i guess it depends on your age you know when i was younger probably not expressing my feelings or emotions or stuff and, and as you get older you kind of learn those things you know mm-hmm. and i get better I, i'm hoping that all the things i'm not good at i get better as i get older because i'm trying to get better okay know? So how would you summarize that then? I'm not real good at how, that's a, how good how do you summarize that? You're not really good at summarizing what at you're summarizing not good at. Summarizing what I'm not good at. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that's yeah, that kind of stumped me a little bit. Okay, number 13. How do you define success? To me success is if you're happy in what you do, no matter what it is you're doing, you know. I mean if you're selling hot dogs on a corner, if that makes you happy, you're successful. You know, if you've got a good family life and people that love you and people that you love and you take care of each other and, and you're happy and content, I mean, you're successful. Now, offline, I know you told me you have 262,000 children. Yeah. So right. 20 years from now, when some of them are older and they listen yeah. to this podcast, what's something you want to say to them from further down the road? Um, I think what I would want to say to them is... We all, putting it in a perspective of an author, we, we all hold a pen in our hands. You know, we all sometimes complain about our life story or, or how our life's going or this is going wrong or that's going wrong. What I would want to tell them is that you have the pen in your hand and you can rewrite that story any way you want to because we don't realize as, as human beings the power that we have. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that's, my, that's my advice to them. Rewrite your story. You know, you got the pen. Do it, you know. I got to tell you, Kevin, Mm -hmm. I love that. Mm -hmm. You've got the pen. Mm -hmm. That is a beautiful, beautiful metaphor. So listeners, take that home with you. You've got the pen. Rewrite Mm -hmm. your story however you want. 
It's fantastic. Kevin, I want to thank you so much for coming in today. Oh, yeah, man. Thanks so much, Daniel. It's a pleasure to meet you, and I, I, I had a great time. Coming yeah, and I show. wish you the best of luck. I sincerely hope I get to go to the theater and see your movie. Oh, man. I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll call you up. I'll give you, I'll give you free tickets, man. It's It'll a date. Yeah. Take care and have a great day. Thanks, sir. Friends and listeners, a quick epilogue here. Kevin and I actually recorded this episode just before the COVID-19 pandemic. And during that time, he's been so busy that he finished his second novel, White Skies, Black Mingo. It's the one he mentioned earlier in the podcast. You can head over to his website, heartofsteelbook.com, H-E-A-R-T-O-F-S-T-E-E-L-book.com to check out his awesome book, Heart of Steel, and news on White Skies, Black Mingo coming soon. Until then, if you'd like more Moonbird in your life, and hey, who wouldn't? Head on over to memoriesofamoonbird.com or visit me on social media at memoriesofamoonbird. Stay safe. Stay safe.